I'm the speed lord. Oh, yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Speed Lords. I am your host, Joseph Rothschild, Aka MBT, joined as always by the effervescent Meepmoto27. Hey Meep. Hey, uh, we're finally back. Uh, they released product after what, like four months? It has been six years since the last Speed Duel release. Um, but now we're back and we're ready to review some particularly interesting cards. Uh, take a look at the state of the metagame as it exists now, since we actually have large events to talk about, and uh, make some predictions about uh, what direction the meta will be going in. We'll put large in quotes there. We're talking 26 to 30 person events, which is large for speed duel standards, but not by anyone else's standards. Uh, it's actually large by Konami-sanctioned Duel Links event standards for the coin that they give you. That's true. Anyway, um, that, that is true. They're slightly more reliable than the four-person locals that we had been using to determine what was meta and what isn't. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's something remotely approaching real data. Yeah. So I think we can start by talking about the decks that were in the meta leading up to this point. Um, from whatever the last set was, what scars of battle, I believe. Yeah. Now that we've graduated from like uh Findland nationals level of uh information to like lenexa regional level um i feel pretty confident that these decks are actually quite strong we've both sort of agreed that there's about four decks that we would consider to be meta in no particular order necessarily but they're sort of above the rest of the decks now keep in mind there's a couple of things uh preventing these decks from being like overwhelmingly popular the four decks in this metagame are not as um you know, prevalent as something like Sky Striker, Salamangrade, Thunder, and Orcist, um, because there's a low card quality and anything remotely synergistic can steal games if you draw the right number of traps in the right order, um, it's by no way comprehensive. However, at, you know, high levels of play, these are represented more than basically everything else. Yeah, and definitely I think that there's enough, like, overlap in the generic card pool that in a 20-card deck, the decks aren't as different as they would be in TCG, where a Sky Striker deck is, like, really different from a Salamangrate deck. They barely share any cards in common in their 40, right? But between, like, you know, Gravekeepers and Warrior Control, those are pretty similar decks overall. Like, they, they share probably... There's, like, nine cards shared between Which them. is half the deck. Yeah, so let's get to the uh, four decks that we think sort of occupy that top rung. So the first, of course... Uh, I think we would both be pretty confident in saying that Warrior is the deck with the most consistent representation and the best matchup spread out of any of the top four. Yeah, so I don't think it's the strongest deck just in terms of, like, ceiling, but it's probably the most consistent deck in that it's just... It has a lot of room for traps. It does a lot of things that Gravekeepers did, but with a higher creature quality than Gravekeepers had, essentially. I mean, you don't have to play stuff like Gravekeepers, uh, Spear Fighter... You know, Gravekeepers, Brass Polisher, whatever we were splashing for our 10th Gravekeeper. Uh, you get to play Command Knights, uh, you get to play Blade Knights, and you get to play Gazombinas, and that's pretty good. Yeah, and then you usually have tech room for, say, like a Yomi ship or something like that, or a Maneater Bug, whatever you want. Right? Obviously, the core of this deck is the Warriors, but uh, because there's nothing 
like there is in Gravekeepers, forcing you to play Warriors, you can dip into the pool of good stuff, while admittedly shallow uh, does steal you games. Yeah, and definitely it flexes more room because Command Knight can function sort of similarly to how, say, like Gentleman or something will function, in that it can block attacks in a way. Right, which opens up more room for you to run less attack stop, less of the low quality attack stoppers, and just run high quality traps. Yeah, and something interesting to note when watching interviews with players who've talked using Warrior or against Warrior is that a lot of those games will go into deck out. So people are doing things like running 21 or running 22 cards that they'll deck second, which just because the decks when they're not playing against another explosive deck like Serpent Knight, just sort of stall out and don't actually have a way to break board. Yeah, that's something that's particularly interesting and almost specifically intrinsic of speed duels specifically. You know, like, it's not like you're ever going to run into a deck out scenario against any TCG deck, but because the best a monster in speed duel is going to be able to do is attack, you know, something with a big enough butt potentially represents a win condition provided you are exactly one card above your opponent. Yeah, so the second deck, like MBT already mentioned, is Serpent Knight Dragon. Um, just, it's sort of the latest iteration, as we've talked about, of a deck centered around a really, really strong skill. It was originally Dragon Caller, but Nightmare Sonic Blast is leagues beyond Dragon Caller, um, just in terms of how much card advantage it generates you, how much easier it is to pull off, it's repeatable, just it has everything going for it. For all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, combo is playable again. Serpent Eye Dragon, as you said, you know, it, it, it just took the place of Dragon Collar in the previous format, um, as people recognized that playing good cards is better than playing bad cards, and doing the combo twice is better than doing the combo once. Um... I don't know what possessed the brain geniuses at Konami to put Pot of Duality and Dad on the same card, but clearly uh, duelists who are picking up S and D are reaping rewards and a non-negligible amount of salt from the larger speed duel community. Yeah, as I believe we've talked about before, there's at least one fan community out there that banned serpent neck dragon in the tournaments that'll skew some of the online tournament results this is it's a little frustrating in looking up specific outcomes uh for like determining what a tier list would look like we had to like not use some very large tournament results because well serpent knight was banned uh of course that doesn't happen in real life uh with the exception of shouts out to the one individual on reddit whose locals hosted a speed duel tournament with a 25 card ban list there's only like 30 playable cards in the format <laughs> oh no they were they were like semi limiting blast sphere it was fantastic that's really that's deep in there <laughs> They were like, the only true way to play speed duels is like singleton top deck rogue doll for the victory. Uh, I'm going to have to give a disagree on that, but to each their own, I guess, if they're having fun, then that's what... The third deck is one that I think both of us were really surprised to see was so playable. Both of us and a lot of other players just weren't conceptualizing the deck correctly, I think. So if you haven't figured it out, we're talking about Skull Servants. 
Um, when Skull, King of the Skull Servants was first announced, we all thought it was just a bone that was being thrown to TCG players with like slightly too much money for their own good, but it turns out it's actually extremely good. It's enabled almost specifically by a bone skill called Servant of the Fallen King, which allows you to mill, I believe, a normal zombie monster, which there's like one good one of, um, from your deck to the graveyard, uh, once per turn, I think. Um, so if you can survive a couple of turns on the back of something like Zombina or Battle Traps, suddenly your King of the Skull Servants are like 3,000 attack beaters that recur. Yeah, so that's the thing, right, is that they can be removed by, say, Serpent Night Dragon mainly, right? Nightmare Sonic Blast can remove it, Aerosol can remove it without the King floating, but you're running three copies of King... When they kill King, if you play another one, it's even bigger. And the big difference is you're not attempting to swing in, right? Yeah, it's not like um, some of these other aggressive decks that actually have to assemble a win con over the course of a couple of turns. Mainly what you do is you just sit it in attack. You park it in attack position, and it demands that they proactively use their battle position changer traps to switch it into defense to kill it. And then you can just... In response, flip Spellbinding Circle, flip Windstorm of Ataqua, flip Kunai of Chain, whatever, right? And then on your next turn, switch it back to attack. And eventually they'll run out of ways to change it to defense. And the Warrior deck has no way to beat over it. And I think that it's specifically, from what I've watched, is a meta call to the fact that a lot of people are on that Warrior deck. And it has a ridiculously easy matchup versus the Warrior deck. Like, you assume something like, okay, so... Uh, I just have to draw more battle changers than they do. But, like, if you draw a battle changer, switch this guy to defense position, and walk over him. Then he goes to the graveyard, they banish one of their five skull servants, and bring it back. So you have to draw enough battle changers that you're both outscaling their battle changers and answers, uh, stuff like Meep said, like Spellbinding Circle... And you're outscaling the amount of vanilla Skull Servants there are in the graveyard, which is impossible to do, of course. Exactly. And I think that Spellbinding Circle in particular is important to note because unlike Battle Traps of the past, where you, know, you fire Windstorm or Kunai once and it stops their attack once, Spellbinding Circle freezes that monster forever. And, they're, and against Warriors particularly, they're never getting it off the field, right? Yeah, uh, get excited for that. Decks that don't tribute summon monsters uh, may have a pretty rough time in the upcoming months. Yeah, and definitely I think that the bad matchup for that deck is obviously Nightmare Sonic Blast, mainly in that Nightmare Sonic Blast does not float Skull Ser King of Skull Servants as it only floats from battle, but on the flip side, Zombina exists. So they can still revive it with some degree of consistency right and then just sit it on there and if they can revive it one turn and they can just kill the serpent night dragon yeah like obviously it's a bad matchup um but in serpent night dragon routinely you're using stuff like your hand traps your gentle manders your sphere karibos in order to prevent your opponent from killing you while you set up something like a double cost and uh, or a tribute dolled monster um you have to use them defensively on your Serpent Knight Dragons against Skull Servants, which is something the deck isn't really equipped to do. So, yes, while Skull Servant has a pretty bad matchup versus this deck, Meep's right, it is in no way unwinnable. And then going to sort of the last deck, which I think is probably 
at least in terms of representation, has been on the lower end. Not that that necessarily speaks to its power, because the events are still relatively small, but it's the classic Gravekeepers, which has been sort of ever-present at the top of the meta since, basically since the game came out, or the format came out, and especially since the first uh, official booster set. Right. Uh, Gravekeeper was really only okay in the intro set. It was this terrible Hidden Temples turbo deck that tried to compete with Blue Eyes that way. Since then, it's become this exceptionally powerful control deck with an extremely malleable skill. So as new skills come out that push the envelope in terms of removal, Gravekeeper is usually the first thing to jump on it. Right now, a majority of them, I think, are playing the most powerful generic skill in the format uh, hidden parasite which lets you use eradicating aerosol not much to say about it it's the same deck it's always been it plays a suite of pretty good vanilla creatures for all intents and purposes uh blows your opponent out with something like a reborn monster at end step tributed into a copy of gravekeeper's oracle decreasing the attack of all your opponent's monsters um it cleans house like nobody's business and getting a two for one off of eradicator is incredible yeah, I think something important to note as to why it's dropped off in popularity is that Warrior is sort of the same essential strategy of just somewhat above average creatures and a good trap lineup, but the Warrior deck relies a lot less on you sort of perpetuating combos, and the individual monsters are a bit stronger, I would say. Like a Blade Knight with Command Knight can go up to 2400, it's at least 2000, which is pretty strong for the format yeah warrior is at the very least adaptable you know it's got command knight locks within it uh its monsters get very large um you're not shoehorned into playing these cards like uh right of spirit which occasionally just like don't have enough targets uh any singular monster in warrior can kind of take over the game on its own and that's not true of um Something like Gravekeeper that's so weak to battle changers when their big beater has literally zero defense. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is just that the core of mo- the core of archetypal stuff in Gravekeepers is like double the size of the core in Warriors, right? Because the Warrior core is literally just three Blade Knight, three Command Knight. That's the core. There's nothing else that you need. Everything else is flexible, and you can tune it to the meta. As opposed to Gravekeepers, we have to run probably. You know, three Rite of Spirit, three Recruiter, three Ambusher, some, maybe one other Gravekeeper, two Oracle. It's it's like a 10 to 13 card engine that you're looking at, minimally. So, it's just less flexible, and in a meta where there's a pretty decent number of top decks that actually function differently, being flexible is important, I think, over maybe having a somewhat higher ceiling off of things like Oracle. For sure, I agree. All right, so with that out of the way, let's take a look at the new cards that are coming in Trials of the Kingdom. But before we do that, let's take a look at the new cards that came in the... I think it was the Sneak Peek Participation cards. Because you need a skill to play Speed Duels, at Sneak Peeks, which are sealed, they give you a skill. And this time they actually made a a brand new set of skills specifically for the Sneak Peek. And... Out of these skills, they're almost all just not good. And I mean, the creator of the format stepped up and he was like, listen, you know, it'd be kind of whack for us to reveal a skill that's actually quite playable that you could only get by doing Speed Duel Day. Um, But they're meant to 
be upgradable. You know, if you're a new player, you look at this and you go, this was pretty good. I wish there was one that was slightly better. And then, of course, there is, like, a comparable skill. Yeah, and I think that that's fine, and I totally agree with that philosophy. Um, It just doesn't make it super interesting to talk about for Constructed, except for Ritual Ceremony, which is very interesting for Constructed. Um, Just to read the text on this card, it's activate the skill during your main phase. Once per duel, reveal a ritual monster in your hand, then add a ritual spell from your deck to your hand that can ritual summon that monster. So essentially, if you have the ritual monster in your hand, you can get the other half, get the ritual spell for free. So that one's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely the first skill that's actually supported ritual decks. I feel like that's always been where... Decks like Relinquish have sort of run up into a wall, right? Is that none of the generic skills... I mean, there's generic skills that are fine, but none of them really work with the Ritual deck and offset the fact that they have such an inherent disadvantage by the fact that Ritual Summoning just sucks, right? Like, Lucky Day was okay, because you could pop your own monster with Dice Foon and get a second removal spell out of your Relinquished, but... That's really the extent of any sort of synergy a generic skill has had with a ritual deck. This, I think, is not only a boon for relinquished decks, which, you know, still suffer the same host of problems, even if your plus two or your minus two is now a minus one. They're also a huge benefit to potential new ritual decks. Um, I know that uh, Yugi Bros is hopelessly addicted to uh, Red Eyes Fortress Whale. And this actually seems kind of insane for that. Like, now you don't have to max out on the terrible ritual spell. You can just find it pretty frequently. And sometimes you actually just get to play the red eyes half of the deck. Um, Magician of Black Chaos is in this set. That's almost a playable ritual. So there are some options. Yeah, I definitely think that it boosts up some more casual strategies. I don't know that it'll make rituals something competitive right now when the options are basically relinquished or a vanilla ritual. But especially if they release, like you know, an actual good effect ritual beyond relinquished. In the future, I could see this skill cropping back up and being useful. It's a very weird state of affairs when ritual decks have triple Sonic Bird, triple Senju, uh, preparation of rights on a skill, but the actual pool of rituals is so shallow, there's almost nothing that can actually do anything. Yeah, definitely this feels in the category of cards that does really exist in speed duels of it's a good card, it just doesn't have a home right now. Uh, the rest of them are just not worth remarking on, right? Yeah, the only one that I would say is worth remarking on is the one that lets you uh, banish three cards from Graveyard to draw. Uh, I mean, theoretically, at a future point, if there's like a deck that mills itself, maybe it'd be playable, but that's it's a big if. It's a big if. I'm not entirely convinced on that. That skill would be broken in like Duel Links or maybe like the tcg but in speed duels there's really not a very good way to get three cards in your graveyard quickly yeah definitely that's again in the pile of things that maybe would be good at some point but in the current state of the game that's going to take turns and turns to be live even in a dedicated deck you probably if you're in a dedicated deck like skulls you don't want to banish those cards from your graveyard so well um additionally sphere karibo is now common so pick them up while you can that's i mean a good that's a good reprint i mean sphere karibo is still a pretty playable card i think it's been it's not as essential as it was at one point long ago but it's not bad it is still the single expensive card in speed duels <laughs> yeah well not for 
not for long as we'll get to later on in our discussion of cards in the set but so uh let's start at the tippy top with the skills um we have zombie master terror from the deep dino destruction cocoon of evo and switcheroo five new skills one for each one of five duelists we've all come to know and love like bones bandit keith uh, Mako Tsunami. <laughs> it's a, all the Duelist Kingdom guys, specifically, right? It's the Duelist... Because this is the Duelist Kingdom set, and we're getting sort of the Duelist Kingdom B team. Little disappointed that it's a Duelist Kingdom set, and we didn't get any new Pegasus skills. I think that that was a missed opportunity. Huge missed opportunity. Yeah. No new Pegasus skills. No new Yugi skills. Seems very questionable to me, but... Uh, hey, people were clamoring for a sixth bone skill. You know what I bet it was? Konami was like, listen, if this product sucks, it's going to reflect very badly on our IPs. So you can adopt the worst characters as your, like, cast. And they were like, sure, give me Bones, give me Bandit Keith, give me Mako Tsunami. It's like the Watchmen of, uh, the Watchmen of Yu-Gi-Oh! format. But yeah, so just going through each of these skills. To start off, we got Zombie Master, which is the TCG card Zombie Master slapped on a skill. Essentially, it lets I you... I love that it's the same art. It's, it's the same art. Lazy. It lets you, once per duel, choose a level 4 lore zombie monster. It becomes Zombie Master, which has the effect of, once per turn, send a monster from hand to grave, and then revive a zombie from your graveyard that's level 4 or lower, which is potentially playable in the Skull Servant deck, I think. Um, not sure if it's better than the skill that you dump and set up your graveyard. That's a really tough sell to me, I think. If there is ever a zombie good stuff deck, which seems conceivable in a format that has like Zombina already, you know, there may be like one or two playables outside of that, um, some kind of Pyramid of Wonders setup, uh, this could be quite strong. I do not think it's home is the Skull Servant deck. That skill is completely unparalleled. It's just another card sort of in the stack of things that maybe will be good at one point. Um, I'm not sure if that point is now. The field of zombies that can be revived by this is still pretty thin. So Second is Tear from the Deep, uh, a skill that works with Kairushin. Kairushin? Kairushin. Kairiushin. Shouts out to uh, Speed Duels doing exactly what I wanted them to do, which was reprint a bunch of those terrible old OCG vanillas we just never got a print of. Um, this is Kairiushin's first TCG appearance. If you control it, you can fire this skill, activate Umi directly from your hand deck or graveyard, and while you control Kairu, all water monsters you control are unaffected by trap effects and actually relevant protection. If it leaves the field, you draw two cards, and if you do, you can flip this card over. Honestly, it's fine. It's alright. It clearly has a home in some sort of water good stuff, but unfortunately, like, to get to this payoff, you have to be playing the absolute piece of trash, which is Kairushin. And the biggest other issue is that due to how Speed Duel's card pool is structured, it's easier to tribute into Serpent Night Dragon than it is to tribute into... Kairiushin. That's upsetting. There's no tri because tribute doll exists for for level sevens like Red Eye, Dark Magician, Serpent Knight. No such thing exists for Kairiushin. Um, I mean, double costing is about the same as just tributing any normal summon monster, right? Well, the difference is double costing has seventeen hundred attack. Uh, the pool of waters caps out at sixteen. Mm, that is a good point, actually. Um. 
Yeah, so I think that for this to be good, it needs something else to push it. I think something that I've always been sort of looking for is Legendary Ocean. I think that would push a lot of these water cards from being not playable to being playable. Make Legendary Fisherman stuff playable as well, just because there's a lot of good level 5 water monsters that just have no way for you to summon them without sitting a monster on board, waiting a turn, tribute summoning, or doing something like, I don't know, time machine or like slushy. It just There's only bad options to get these level fives out. Yeah, for what it's worth, this card and Legendary Fisherman 2, which we'll get to in a little bit, are complete setups for Legendary Ocean in a future set. Yeah, definitely I think whenever they feel like, okay, we want water to be playable now, all they have to do is print Legendary Ocean, and it just skyrockets into being at least playable. Maybe not the best, but playable. Uh, next up is Dino Destruction, another dinosaur skill. Uh, this is once per turn, you can choose a level 6 or higher dinosaur monster you control. Uh, this turn, if it attacks a defense position monster, inflict piercing, and then flip this card over. Um, this can't be real. This is like... I can't believe, first of all, the art of of uh, Rex, he's doing the reach back and punch from the memes, <laughs> like the the vibe check pose. I'm really certain <laughs> this is the exact same art that's on Nightmare Sonic Blast. Yes, it's the exact same art that's on Nightmare Sonic Blast. They just recycled it. So I think the best use of this card is to like shuffle it into your opponent's Serpent Knight Dragon deck, Weevil style, and then they go flip up my skill and you go, oh yeah, you got it. Look, they already made Double Evolution Pills this go, which is like an actual card that enables high-level dinosaurs. You would need that skill to make this skill even remotely usable. It's also terrible. Um, It doesn't... Yeah, I mean, maybe if it, like, doubled piercing damage, as is, it's just, woof. My absolute favorite thing about this skill is that it specifies level 6 or higher. Of that pool, the best single dinosaur in Speed Duels is Dark Dryceratops, which already has piercing! I love it. That's that's <laughs> incredible, honestly. That's an it's incredible... Unreal. What what a great what a wonderfully designed skill. Just so either you're cheating beautiful. out the monster with double Evo and of course it can't have piercing because that's your skill, or you're playing the only one that's summonable in its own right, Dark Triceratops, which already has piercing. There's no winning with this one. Yeah, just completely unplayable garbage, honestly. The fact this was a skill over a Pegasus skill is beyond me entirely. Uh, we'll skip over the next one for a sec. Uh, we'll go to the Bandit Keith skill real quick. Switcheroo. This card is very playable in Duel Links and has been for a long time. Don't think it's going to be nearly as playable here. A uh, bunch of contextual things like Cosmic Cyclone being the best uh, spell and trap removal in the format and triggering Switcheroo. And the necessity to play just a random skill in a good stuff deck um, versus Speed Duel where a lot of skills are sort of built around archetypal uh, strategies means that it's not going to see nearly as much play. Something important to note is that it does not have the errata clause from the Duel Links version of the skill. You don't need to lose life to use the Duel Link, uh, uh, the Speed Duels version of this skill. The overall power level of skills is lower in Duel Links than it is here, I think. This is good. It does still have to compete with 
cards that are enabling something like eradicating aerosol the decks that really want this over uh, something like dice or aerosol right a uh, skill that lets you get a really really strong board wipe card are decks that want to draw into combo pieces and all the combo decks require another skill to work i think that this will probably be good at some point i'm not sure if that point is now and finally i mean what is there to say about this one cocoon of ultra evolution is going to be a disaster <laughs> oh it's broken yeah so this is just far and away the best skill in this set so for those of you who haven't yet seen cocoon of ultra evolution um it says you can activate the following skills during your main phase uh, and you can only use each of its two skills once per duel Firstly, you contribute one insect monster from either field that's equipped with an equipped card. So, sorry to the insector players in the audience. And if you do special an insect monster from your deck, ignoring its summoning conditions, also flip this card over. And the second one is, you can shuffle one insect monster from your graveyard into the deck, then draw one card, also flip this card over. Yeah, so I'm not sure about the flipping it over if that makes it so you can't use them both in the same turn. I don't think it stops that, though, right? It's it's very weirdly worded because it looks like you activate this during your main phase. You can't flip it over after you've flipped it over. Um, and then you can only use each one of the two bullets once per duel. Uh, our confusion here is, of course, based on the fact that skills being separate things on a single skill card is kind of weird and we don't have any guidance on it even in its worst possible form which is tribute a monster from either player's field with an equipped card and then special an insect monster from your deck and shuffle an insect from your graveyard into the deck and draw a card i mean both of those i mean it's they're crazy even if they take two turns yeah definitely um and this will be important to note with later on when we get to the card that enables this. Um, we'll talk about when we get there, though. What really, I think, can potentially push this skill above and beyond, but it might just be above and beyond on its own, very honestly. Even completely foregoing any sort of tribal deck, which could very well be built around this, um, there is a generic card in the set that enables the entirety of the skill with almost no investment. Um, in the previous set, we got the best payoff for this card, which is Perfectly Ultimate Great Moth, a 3,500 Chonker. Important to note, it has 3,000 defense, too, so it's really hard to beat even if they switch it to defense. They have to have, like, a 4K King of the Skull Servants or something like that. All right, let's do the individual cards. Yeah, so, uh, there's a lot of vanillas, which we don't really need to go over. I disagree. Uh, Wetha is going to break the format in half. Starting off of the list is Magician of Black Chaos and Black Magic Ritual. Like we were speaking about earlier, of course, these cards would be potentially good in a world where a vanilla ritual payoff was worth going into, but I think we pretty clearly can uh, claim that that's not the case right now. I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced that a vanilla ritual is ever going to be the core of an actually good deck, um, but maybe something casual. Uh, Kairushin, we've already spoken about with reference to the skill, which is the only way in, it, in which it is even remotely playable. Ancient Brain, Wetha, Change Slime, Giant Mech Soldier are completely forgettable. Crazy Fish is a 1600 attack water monster, which potentially matters for Legendary Fisherman 1 shenanigans. Uh, and the first interesting card, Girochin Kuwagata, a big insect. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. I mean, a lot of types now have 1,700 vanillas, which is good. I think that having sort of a breadth of that when that's sort of the cap where vanillas have hit in the format gives tribal type decks a good beater, but not entirely sure that that's enough to really push uh, insects out, but who knows? We'll see, I guess. It's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, if an insect deck emerges, it does have a reasonable four-star win condition. Yeah, definitely. Although the win condition is obviously perfectly ultimate great moth in any insect deck. Metal Armored Bug would be a fantastic card if perfectly ultimate hadn't just come out. Tainted Wisdom. Tainted Wisdom is the YouTube channel that makes those combo videos. I don't know if this is actually a playable card, though. Uh, no. Um, Tainted Wisdom, fantastic YouTube channel. Um, not very many interesting combos that can be done with this completely ridiculous card. It's included for a fusion monster. We've got Cyber Raider. Anything interesting to say about this card? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that a pass. Honestly, I don't know about Cyber Raider. It's just... Yeah, it just does stuff with equip cards. Equip cards are, like, potentially relevant. There's, like, some weird equip th sub-theme in this format. Like, Eternal Rest is in here. Uh, we'll get to it a little bit later, but there are some pretty powerful equip spells. However, I don't think any of them are going to make Cyber Raider playable. Yeah, I mean, I think that what's interesting to note about cards like Cyber Raider and Eternal Rest is that they seem much more geared towards a limited environment, which is something that... I've we've never seen Yu-Gi-Oh sets other than like the battle packs ever geared towards right which I think is really cool actually that they've somewhat designed the set around limited like you actually can draft equips as an archetype that sounds sweet no like I think you might actually be able to draft or play legitimate sealed with speed duels and that's really cool because Yu-Gi-Oh has literally never had that in any other format at any other time um, the next card is potentially quite strong, Patrician of Darkness. We're talking about the old schoolyard staple himself. A five-star zombie that chooses the attack targets for your opponent's attacks. Yeah, I think this is maybe good. Um, there's definitely ways to revive cards in zombies. So it's not unreasonable to get him out even though he's level five. And being able to choose targets for attacks is... Uh, pretty okay effect in speed duels actually it's odd like uh, first of all people were already teching a singular copy of vampire lord in uh zombie decks so you know there is a reason to do it but the unfortunate part about patrician of darkness is routinely he doesn't read you choose the targets of your opponent's attacks he reads your opponent doesn't enter the battle phase and if you're playing a zombie deck that's like rife with skull servants Honestly, that's probably already happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's probably a it's probably a whiff, but it has some potential use. Then you've got Mariokutai. Uh, no lost warrior from another planet. Zero zero. Yeah, I mean Mariokutai is a bit uh, something we can probably skip. It. It looks like the expanding brain meme on a card. Oh yeah, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the title card for this. Is going to be us with the Mario Kutai brains. <laughs> uh, next are a couple of cards that are frighteningly good. Yeah, no, we've got two cards that were pretty directly, I think, printed to support the warrior sub-theme that we've been seeing, which is really cool. 
uh, Sasuke Samurai and Don Zaluk, both of which are really classic pieces that you saw in Warrior Toolbox in TCG in like 2003. So uh, I'll get the what I believe is going to be the more broken of the two out of the way first. Don Zaluk is insane. Oh, absolutely. I think this was one of the first cards spoiled from this set, and the second that people saw it was spoiled, they knew that it was a really good card, right? When it hits your opponent, you can either take a card out of their hand at random or mill them for two. And in this format, where we just spent 10 minutes talking about how mill is a viable win condition if you establish something like, I don't know, the command lock, it seems pretty relevant that this card has both something that can prevent your opponent from responding to your setup and something that actively wins you the game. And the fact that with Command Knight in the board, this is an 1800 pointer, meaning it beats over pretty much anything other than your opponent's also Command Knight buff stuff or Serpent Knight Dragon is very, very relevant, right? Is it beats over 1700 pointers, which is sort of the unbuffed cap for monsters. Uh, Sasuke Samurai, also quite powerful. He gets a lot more powerful based on a couple of cards that we're going to spoil a little bit later. Yeah, but just in general, what he does is he can destroy a face down defense position monster without going to the damage step so this lets you if you have a way to flip down any of your opponent's monsters if they're a big monster you're flipping down it just lets you remove it from play right without having to bother with having a big enough beater or anything like that now granted there still is the slight issue of if it's normally flipped down they can stop your attack with a battle trap and then sasuke samurai is sort of out in the open because it has very low attack points so this seems maybe more like a side deck card, but it's still something to look at nonetheless. Uh, helping Robo for Combat, limited all-star. Despair from the Dark. We don't actually know how good this card is. Um, if an opponent's card effect includes skills, then it might be quite strong against, like, virus decks. Yeah, not that anyone really plays that. I think this is... If you play this, it's as, like, a meta call against Don Zalug if that gets big. It's also very possible it's included as a limited answer to cards like our next one, Bloodsucker, which when it deals battle damage to your opponent, mills for one. Um, probably not very good in Constructed with 1300 attack, uh, but probably quite good in Limited where, you know, like milling is probably a viable win condition. Uh, Despair from the Dark seems really good if you mill it off the top and go, oh good, I win. It definitely seems like a cool card for Limited, which again... They've put a lot of the filler stuff they've put in is clearly geared towards limited because they don't have to cater to printing as many weird situational bad anime cards that are restricted to the archetype that the normal TCG sets do. Right. Um, Black Terra, completely uninteresting. Flintlock. Flintlock, and we can just talk about Flint at the same time, I think, because they go together. They go together insofar as they both say Flint, but Flint is an exceptionally good card, and Flint Lock, I don't think, really does anything. Yeah, so it lets you equip a Flint on the field to it, which is not good, um, and then you can take any Flint equipped to it and equip it to another monster, and it becomes indestructible by battle. So I guess the idea here is that if you're running a deck based around Flint itself, which... I believe, equips, and then the monster equipped with Flint can't attack. And then when Flint falls when Flint falls off, I believe, you re-equip it to another monster on the field. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's like an uh, 
a Kibio Drakmord that just like never falls off. Yeah. So if the equipped monster is destroyed, you target a monster on the field and equip it to that monster. So I believe the idea with Flintlock right is that if they only have one monster left and you kill it somehow, then you can throw and only your monsters are left. You can throw Flint on Flintlock and you're not disadvantaged by it. And then when they play another monster, you just switch it back over and it can't be killed. It's cool, but I think it's pretty naive about the goals of the Flint deck. Like the Flint deck is always going to do some kind of burn shenanigan or always going to uh, deck out your opponent. It is never, ever, ever going to be like, and now I've destroyed all of my opponent's monsters with Flint. Maybe as like a tech or something to push in a win con, who knows. Golden Ladybug is a Dual Links All-Star, features in several completely unfair decks. Slightly worse here because the curators of the format have done a really good job preventing a ton of burn from making it into the format. So stall decks uh, kind of have to actually play a win condition that means something. But gaining a small amount of life every turn is still probably pretty fine, and this probably will see play in a deck that's doing something completely unfair. Yeah, I'm not convinced right now that it's actually good just because the amount of life you're gaining is so small and the damage swings are so big that I don't think that it's going to be giving you meaningful amounts of life compared to just playing other cards that stop them from attacking you in the first place, right? So then we get a few uh, high-level dinosaurs, well... Two high-level dinosaurs and one low-level dinosaur. A couple of giraffes. All three of which are completely unplayable. Yeah, they're all very bad. Uh, they have, like, a weird token theme. Uh, one, the low-level one, when it's destroyed by battle, gives you two tokens. And they can't be tributed except for a jurak, so there's no usefulness there. Uh, it's level six. And when a defense position jurak... You know, when a defense position jurak except himself is destroyed by battle and sent to the graveyard... You can bring him out, which is, again, it's, it's not good. Like, theoretically, this card exists so that when you inevitably go in on a big Jurak with double evolution pill and it just gets windstormed, you can then summon Hera from your hand. But that's, like, not strong. It's really not. Uh, I'm not convinced that this is good at all. And then the last one, Jurak Spinos, when it kills a monster and sends it to the graveyard, you get a terrible token on their field so that you can, I guess, kill it. The problem being that it can't attack again, so I, I don't know really what the point of that is, unless they do something like release Ultimate Tyranno. But then it's still too big of a combo. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cards all seem like misses to me. Uh, next up is Shore Knight. I literally had never seen this card. Um... So it's part of a cycle from TCG that they released during, I believe, the Zexal era, where the Armageddon... So based on Armageddon Knight, for every attribute that there's some condition it meets, and then it buries a monster of that attribute. This one is when a battle position of it is changed, send a water monster. Which is cute that this is the knight that they printed in duel in uh, speed duels because there's so many position changing cards, right? It is a cutie. I'll I'll concede that. Uh, followed by Legendary Fisherman Two, which I believe we've already talked about a little when we were talking about Kairiushin. Again, it's just no good way to summon it. Yeah. It's a good card, too. And it's unfortunate because the Legendary Fisherman skill, I don't actually think it's called the World's Greatest Fisherman, it's Catch of the Day, um, is pretty strong. It lets you immediately summon an, or uh, activate Umi, and then if your Legendary Fisherman gets in, 
or destroys an opponent's monster by battle, you get to summon a level 4 or lower water from your deck. And the pool is pretty good. You have, like, Yomi's Ship. You now have Shore Knight. Because of Crazy Fish, you now have a uh, 1900 attack beater. I mean, things look pretty good, except there's almost no way to summon this card. <laughs> so you've got a deck full of terrible monsters that you need to tribute, um... And then somehow you have to let one survive, and then your payoff is a monster that still dies to all the removal in the format. Yeah, I think that, once again, if we get Legendary Ocean, this gets pretty playable, but as it stands, not so much. And next, the single card that makes Cocoon playable, Parasite Paranoid. This is unreal. It's a house of a card, truly. Uh, as a quick effect, you can target a face-up monster in the field, equip it from your hand... It becomes an insect, it can't attack insects, and its effects that activate by targeting an insect are all negated. And if it's sent to the graveyard, you can special summon a level 7 or higher insect from your hand, ignoring its summoning condition. So, regardless of whether you're playing a pure insect deck, this automatically enables you to use the Cocoon of Ultra Evolution skill to get perfectly ultimate from deck. That's right. pretty good. Um... <laughs> You get to fire Cocoon, destroy an opponent's monster, so you've gone, gone one for one, and then you end up with the largest normal, like, main deck monster in the game for your troubles. Yeah, Palamonization wishes it was this good, honestly, at getting a 3500 beater onto the board. Uh, obviously, I think this will see a lot of play. Yeah, um, so I was playing a bit of the dedicated insect deck, and some of the really strong synergies you can see there, right, is that because all your monsters are insects, Parasite Paranoid makes it so that it it's a, basically like a better Sphere Karibo, right? It's like a spellbinding circle from hand that you can flex into removal at any point. And then if you happen to draw into Perfectly Ultimate Great Moth, then when you sack their monster with Parasite Paranoid equipped, you get two copies of Perfectly Ultimate Great Moth, one from the hand and one from the deck, which is actually just insane. It's a the pure insect deck as it stands right now. Obviously, I'm not under any illusions that my build is the most optimal version of that build, but it seems in early testing to be sort of a feast or famine deck that is a bit reminiscent of Dragon Caller, but better in that Dragon Caller didn't remove the opponent's monster to summon blue eyes, right? This does. That's the that's a huge difference, I think. Uh Skull Knight, completely unremarkable normal fusion that includes a bunch of really bad cards from earlier. Uh, Super Warline and Warline Ritual, strictly worse Fortress Whale. Got 50 less attack, it's just bad. Share the Pain. This was a classic card to out Clifford Towers in TCG. Playability of this card aside, I have to ask you. Do you think we are getting the printing that includes the phrasing, for no effect? It does! There's a screenshot on the wiki that I'm looking at right now that says... It has PSCT, tribute one monster, semicolon, make your opponent tribute one monster, in parentheses, for no effect. I am going to lose my mind. What does that mean? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, when it was printed, it was, like, your opponent, it, it's one of those early magic, like, alpha texts where it's, like, your opponent can't sacrifice a monster that's already being sacrificed or something like that. It just, like, describes a game mechanic. It describes a game mechanic because they don't expect players to understand how the mechanics work, which is reasonable, I think from a design perspective, but at this point, people know how the game works. Uh, the, the rules have become so obtuse that no one will be able to parse them unless they have, like, a good understanding of how Yu-Gi-Oh! works. So, like, putting this on here is really funny. I I don't know. I really hope it does have it, because 
then I will get to go to a speed duel day and someone will have to raise their hand and ask me what for no effect means. I mean, I'm fairly certain that it got an errata that left in the for no effect after PSCT came out. Miserable. So I'm fairly certain it's going to stay on the Is card. it theoretically like uh, if there's a face-up card on the field that says like every time someone tributes a monster, gain 500 attack, it would prevent that effect from triggering when you tribute a monster? Maybe. I don't know that situation has ever come up, but I guess it could. Next up, we already covered Flint, but next up we got Tail Swipe, which I think is actually pretty good. It's hard to get a handle on. In the TCG, this card would be pretty good because, you know, obviously you get to uh, return cards to the hand and that's incredible. But in speed duels where they can just reset the monster and you are going to have to attack it eventually, it's less powerful, but still probably playable. Yeah, I think that it's nice at least that there's some kind of payoff for running that double evolution pill skill because the monsters sure as hell aren't the payoff right now. Um, again, that deck still won't be good until we get actually good monsters to summon off of it, but yeah, we'll just keep waiting. I don't know if we'll ever get that very honestly since it seems like they're moving out of Duelist Kingdom for theming. So Double Cyclone. This card's going to be completely busted. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I guess you can go into why you think it's going to be completely busted. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was busted in Duel Links. No, I don't know. Um, Obviously, this is a little different than the scenario in Duel Links where it's already very powerful. Um, Because, you know, there's not those synergies with stuff like Ancient Gear Reactor. Uh, cards in Duel Links that were, were good along these lines were good because of one of two reasons. Firstly, maybe it had some unbelievable synergy with an existing card, um, which we have a little bit of. You know, Wild Tornado does uh, interact with this in a particularly good way, and that's a card that's kind of playable on its own already. Uh, and two, because there was literally no spell or trap removal in the format. Early Duel Links had people, like, playing a skill that would put the least important field spell on your side of the field, so you could play Storm to MST your opponent. Um, we're not exactly in that universe. You know, there's pretty good spell and trap removal in speed duels already. There's no MST, there's no Cosmic Cyclone, but we do have Dust Tornado, we do have Night Beam, uh, we do have Dice Foon, uh, which under certain conditions is quite good. So, you know, it, it'll be a hard sell, but I think this is one of, if not a top two spell and trap removal. And for that reason alone, I think it'll see play. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that the synergies exist right now to justify playing this in most decks. Pretty much the only card that I can think of that synergizes with it is Wild Tornado. Or I guess, like, you can chain, like, a Windstorm or something like that. That's about it, though. Uh, it's pretty good in Relinquished. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good in Relinquished. I think really that's That's a good point, yeah. Um, relinquished and maybe harpies because they have other ways to also pop wild tornado are probably the best homes for this um but neither of those decks are incredible and i really don't think double cyclone is going to be what pushes them up to being incredible i can get behind that yeah surface is just yet another card to go with the water deck that doesn't really exist yet but it's good i think i mean it's good in a vacuum yeah it's about one of the only ways that you can easily summon uh Legendary Fisherman or Kairi Ushin. Bashing Shield. This equips only to a normal summoner set monster, gives it a thousand attack, and then you don't take battle damage. A really unnecessary line of text there. This card's okay. Yeah. Uh, 
it's fine, I guess. It's like conditional acts of despair. It's just a question of are equip spells good? And I think pretty clearly right now they're not fantastic. You know, um, going all in on an equip when your opponent has access to single target removal in Cocoon of Ultra Evolution or board wipes um, insofar as they're playing like uh, eradicating aerosol means that you're just setting yourself up for a two for one. A thousand attack isn't going to be the difference over anything particularly relevant. Like it'd have to be an 1800 attack monster to get over Serpent Knight Dragon in a deck that already plays like 15 battle changers. I just don't like it. Iron Draw. There's no good machine effect monsters. Yep, machines just have absolutely no support. Although, what is important to note is that if... Well, I guess we can get something we'll probably end up touching on in the future predictions, but if what people are predicting is correct and that next year's Battle City theme sets and we get Esperoba support, Jinzo stuff, this could actually maybe be good. Um, because theoretically then there's a machine deck utilizing Jinzo. Uh, but until that point, it's bad. Um, Time Machine? This was a card that I remember being like $100 because it was this Unreal promo when it came out and everyone was comparing it to the, at the time, I think limited Call of the Haunted. Um, it's not good. You can revive things. There's no straight up generic revival traps other than this in the format. So that's something. But the decks are bending over backwards to play Zombina. Yeah, so I mean, I, I could very realistically see this getting play in certain decks. The biggest blocker for me is the line, when a monster is destroyed by battle, right? Because the thing about Zombina is that Zombina is both a monster and it floats off of anything, right? Including Serpent Night Blast or Aerosol or whatever, right? Time Machine, not so much. So, not entirely convinced. If it floated off of other stuff, I would say go all in on this. As it stands, probably a miss. Next is Tootin Mask. People have been likening it to a solemn judgment for zombies, which sounds incredibly powerful in a format where a zombie deck is like a top three competitor. However, it only stops spell and trap cards that target, and there's like maybe one of those that's relevant right now. Yeah, I mean, it stops, like, uh, I don't even know, Kunai, I guess. It stops Spellbinding Circle. It's about it, though. Order to Charge, I guess, but... There are conditions under which it will be playable, and they're like, the stall deck becomes really viable. Even then, uh, there's a lot of premium removal in the format and premium answers in the format that all get past this and aren't countered by this. I think there will be a lot of times... Where if you choose to play this in your zombie deck, it's just going to be sitting dead in the back. All right, now we got the cool stuff. Um, first, we have to get through Energy Drain, completely unplayable, uh, terrible card. It's just bad reinforcements. Next is Assault on GHQ. This is a Duel Links All-Star come to rest in Speed Duels once again. This card is probably not good. In Duel Links, it was good because of some extremely ridiculous stall techniques and the ability to send exactly Warm Worm. You can't do that here. Yeah, I think that they released this in the same set with Don's Alug, which, granted, has a bit of a harder time milling the opponent, but it's also a good card outside of that. Maybe 
Yeah, maybe in like really dedicated stall decks, I could see this being like in the side or as a one-off or something just to close the game out in like a stall burn deck maybe. You know, if you're getting close to milling your opponent, you can uh, pop pop your monster and mill them to win the game. But that's the only situation I can see this being any good in. And then they can do something like flip jar of avarice and you're just screwed because then they shuffle their graveyard back, they're not milling themselves, and then they win the game. Uh, yeah, not, not super sold on that one. Haunted Shrine. This card actually seems incredible. Um... You know, this card seems pretty good especially in a deck like skull servants so it's got a little bit of bait text um the back half i believe is maybe the first trap that can be activated from the graveyard on your opponent's turn a uh, big deal for speed duels and one of the very few cards that actually banishes in the format of course it's only banishing itself um it targets a zombie in your graveyard and specials it if you control no monsters and then in the graveyard allows you to do that again, except it negates the effects of your monsters. Now this is extremely powerful in a deck like Skull Servant, where you can just get King, he goes to the graveyard, and then his effect activates. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is pretty relevant, especially if Skull Servant decks stay on the more stall variant. You're not going super wide, so when they kill your King of the Skull Servants with Nightmare Sonic Blast or something, you'll probably not have any monsters on board, and you can just flip this up, bring him right back, right? Which is really good because then your opponent goes to swing, you revive your King of the Skull Servants. What are they going to do, right? They've already Nightmare Sonic blasted for the turn. They can't get past it. The Warrior deck, Aerosols or something like that. It's the same idea. Um, Ceiling Ceremony of Sweeton, terrible. Once per turn, you can send a water monster from your hand to the graveyard to target a card in your opponent's graveyard. Banish the target. Just miserably bad. Yeah, just a horrendously awful card. The best case scenario is you're going even on your opponent trying to revive something that's the absolute best case scenario 99 percent of the time it's terrible waking the dragon waking the dragon is interesting it's a cheeky card for sure i think it is it is a cheeker um for those of you unfamiliar with this tcg all-star if this set card in its owner's control has left the field because of an opponent's effect and is now in the graveyard or banished special a monster from your deck or extra deck and I think the best target right now is Arcana Knight Joker. Yeah, there's not really any good way to summon him otherwise, but this gi gives you a way to bring him out, and he can, I believe, discard a card from your hand to negate uh, effects of the same card type, I think. Might be wrong on that one, but the point is he's a decently sized dude that can do negation. I mean, this is like maybe sideable or something as a trick against when you're playing a deck that's heavy on back row but it's really iffy because spell trap zone space is at a premium still in the format and wasting it on a card that's really reliant on your opponent actually blowing it up is very questionable there's a couple of scenarios where i could see this being all right uh if dice foon comes back obviously it's pretty good uh if people start getting on triple uh double cyclone and then just firing it blindly. If Nightbeam comes back, if you're playing Serpent Knight Dragon and your opponent is boarding in stuff like Nightbeam to out specifically Champion's Vigilance, it seems okay. But those are extreme corner cases. I think, like in the TCG, by and large, it's going to be basically unplayable. Yeah, I mean, it'll be like a sometime side deck card. That's about it. I am sure some people will play it in uh, in their main deck, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be good. 
just to ruin my life specifically. And finally, the cover card, or at least it might as well be, to the set Floodgate Trap Hole. Just an absolute insane card. Just so incredibly good. Um, I mean, this card is like almost was almost TCG playable at a point. At a certain point in the past, oh, it's it's been TCG playable. Yeah, and I know that it's in Duel Links, correct? Right, and it's really really good in Duel Links. It's fantastic in Duel Links. Um, I mean, I got my invite like two years ago in a deck playing three copies of this card. Um, Floodgate Trap Hole is an absolutely insane card. Uh, in its own right, when your opponent summons a monster, you can activate it. It flips that monster face down, and it can't change its battle position. But it gets even better in a format where there's only three monster zones. So we're now playing in a format that has uh, Mask of the Accursed, Spellbinding Circle, Floodgate Trap Hole, Flint. I mean, now you have a card that locks a zone and doesn't take up one of your own back row slots. Not only is this an auto-include in almost every deck, I think, I think it effectively enables a variant of stall that just locks your opponent's zones and says, you better have a monster to tribute summon or else you have lost the game. And something else I think it does is it was, I think, almost specifically brought in as a counter to Serpent Night Dragon because it completely blows out Serpent Night Dragon. It is a very good Serpent Knight answer. Right. They have to have exactly Vigilance and waste a turn setting it up. Yeah, it's just... It's it's very, very powerful. Uh, it basically is good in every deck. I, I can't think of any deck that wouldn't run this card, very honestly, except maybe Serpent Knight Dragon, and that is actually now a distinct disadvantage for Serpent Knight Dragon that they don't want to run this card necessarily. So, with that in mind, do you want to take a crack at decks that might exist in a post-trials world? Obviously, the top four decks already have a suite of good cards, and I think Skulls is the deck that is poised to get the most from this set with a follow-up of Warrior. Yeah, so I think that if we're talking about the four current decks, right, and what they did or didn't get, I think Skulls got sort of like myriad suite of tools i think that the big standouts for them is definitely going to be haunted shrine more than anything else um and floodgate trap hole as well just because it helps control strategies uh as for warriors dawn's Alug, better traps always help the deck uh that's about it. Uh, Gravekeepers, I don't think really got a huge amount, although I think Warriors and Gravekeepers could potentially slot in the Parasite Paranoid skill, um, which is something I think we talked about before. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, the decks that are not currently playing a skill will have the opportunity to just like go for this occasional win con, um, which I think they're going to you know do almost all the time, um, especially in a format with a bunch of like single-target must-answer monsters. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that you can side a more generic skill in your board, say, siding Aerosol when you're up against something like Serpent Knight Dragon, is good. Because then you can flex out of that more all-in strategy and just not run it in certain matchups. Oh no, I would absolutely keep in Parasite Paranoid for almost exclusively Serpent Knight Dragon. Like, it's... The issue with Aerosol going into Serpent Night Dragon as the Gravekeeper player is that when you fire Aerosol, you don't win the game. You know, you fire Aerosol and then your opponent goes, Champion's Vigilance. Or they go, okay, fine, you destroyed my first Serpent Night Dragon. I got to Duality next turn, so I have at least one hand trap in my hand. You can't attack through me. Um, 
The difference between this and that skill is twofold. Firstly, there's no step in the Parasite-Paranoid combo you can champion's Vigilance. It's a monster effect and then a skill activation. And secondly, it immediately presents lethal. No matter what the board state is, you just like have a 3500 attack monster. So even if the duality got like a Sphere Karibo, um, they're able to switch one of your monsters to defense. And if you're on Gravekeeper, your other aggro guy gets to get in. Now they're uh, sitting with a Champion's Vigilance that is dead. They are out of hand traps to prevent your next turn attack. They have to make the other Serpent Knight Dragon absolutely right now or they lose. And, you know, that's just a much better position to be in than like, okay, well, I've left them with a full grip and either burned a champ fidge or gotten through one of the three SNDs. Yeah, and something else that I think is important to note is that if you, in Warriors especially, with Don Zalug, this gives them that sort of Sophie's choice between do I Sphere Kribo Don Zalug or do I Sphere Kribo 3,500 damage, right? Because they either get a, they either lose a card from their hand or lose almost all their life points. So I think that adding Parasite Paranoid is just a huge boon to the Warrior deck specifically. That combined with Don Zalug, I think, will keep Warrior up in Tier 1 going into this format. I do think there is the opportunity for new decks to emerge as a result of this, which is not something we could say about every single one of these uh, build packs. Famously, the first two did just about basically nothing for the metagame. Um, the first one I do want to talk about a little is sort of the evolution of a perfected stall list. You know, um, something that might be playing something even like the virus skill uh, and is on just the litany of monster zone locking spells and traps that are so unbelievably strong. Something else I think we might see in that kind of deck is switcheroo because it's the kind of deck that could benefit just from sculpting its hand a little more, right? Just so that you always have the correct answer, you have the correct answer a lot more often. And I think we've seen these sort of stall burn decks scraping at the fringes of the meta for a, a long time now, for probably two or three sets. And just the huge suite of infinitely better stall tools that we got in this set really, I think, will push it over into being more meta if not tier one, at least tier two. Of course, a lot is going to depend on the direction it decides to go for the win condition. If it uses the skill for something like Virus, you know, it can't switcheroo. Um, but if it uses switcheroo, it's now completely reliant on something like Mask of the Accursed to win. And if that's the case, you know, spell and trap removal is suddenly not only a way to unlock your monsters, it's a win condition. So it's gonna, I think, be built according to what people respond to like there will be a build people will come up with a response the build will exist to next level that response and that will be the build that's settled on yeah i think it'll it'll flip-flop back and forth a bit and then it seems like we've been getting sort of a steady trickle of stall cards basically for the last for every booster set so i imagine we'll probably continue getting tools for it going into the next set which Maybe at some point could become a problem, but for now it just sort of uh, incentivizes like a different, more variety in playstyles for decks, and which is probably good. Famously, that's what happened with Duel Links. Burn was never going to be powerful at all, so they felt comfortable releasing like deal 400 to your opponent until there were accidentally too many Restructor Revolutions in the format. Yeah. Now, on the plus side, they haven't printed any straightforward Burn cards in, duel in Speed Duels to my knowledge and keep it up which is 
seems to be a sort of deliberate design choice in response to what happened in Duel Links, right? Um, another notable thing is that there's no skill that burns like there was in Duel Links, right? And there's no really massive hand sculpting skills like there were in Duel Links. I don't think it's too outside the realm of possibility that we see something like a um, ritual deck emerge, uh, at least as a tier two option. Um, I do think something like uh, the, uh, I what's it called, Moby Thick deck, <laughs> yeah, might actually prove itself to be reasonably competent and playable since it gets to now play a suite of extremely powerful traps alongside every other deck. But of course, like you pointed out earlier, it is going all in on a vanilla ritual, which does have its downsides. Yeah, and I think that maybe Relinquish could make somewhat of a comeback. We'll see. It did get tools in the form of the new skill, Double Cyclone. It really depends, I think, where the rest of the meta goes, because if there's a lot of stally control decks, Relinquish is very weak because it just can't win the grind game against those decks. But if we start seeing... More all-in decks that are like, I don't know, the more decks that are like a pure insects deck or a serpent knight dragon or whatever, maybe it will be able to adapt around it, but that remains to be seen. I, I have no faith. Yeah. I have no faith whatsoever in Relinquished. Uh, you're still going in on a monster that they can just Parasite Paranoid away. I don't, don't think it's likely. And finally, I think um, a dinosaur deck might come of this. Something like a double Evo deck that gets to play something like Tail Swipe. Yeah, I'm not entirely sold on that. I still just don't think the payoffs are good enough. I don't think Tail Swipe is a good enough payoff to justify the really weak pool of monsters you summon off of double Evo. That's that might be what I think about Relinquish. You might, yeah, you might think about Dinos just slightly overestimating it. I think they'll both be casually more playable than they were before but not competitively well so that about wraps it up i think um you heard it here first folks even if the top four decks don't change considerably they will at least change compositions which is a win in my book yeah and i could very realistically see something like gravekeepers being maybe pushed out for something like stallburn going into this format just because of the density of good tools that stall got can we please trade SND for Stallburn? I can only take one cheesy deck in the top four. Yeah, and I think SND will probably stay good just because the skill is so insane compared to all the rest of the skills, but Bloodgate Trap Hole is a huge check on the deck, and everybody's going to be playing it, so it's very much... If you can open the Floodgate Trap Hole before they can get to their Serpent Knight Dragon, you basically are going to be winning that game a lot of the time, I think. I have a dream that the entire metagame, save for Serpent Knight, is composed of mid-range decks playing Triple Floodgate and Cocoon of Ultra Evolution as their skill, and every Serpent Knight player goes 0-4 at every locals that they attend. With that, anything additional to say, Meep? Nope. Just keep playing Speed Duels, no one else is. <laughs> Please enjoy Speed Duels. Speed Duels.